Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 208 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. This is Jill. Hi, Adam. Hello. How are you? I'm good. This is the second time we're doing this intro. Let's see if we can get through it all the way this time. Uh... Um... So just to let you guys know what we talked about in the first intro that we deleted, still cold in Cleveland, um, regional weather talk. And we blamed the groundhog. And we blamed the groundhog. It's his fault, that little tiny rodent, a little adorable Punxsutawney Phil. Yep. Um, so that's what we did in the first one that you'll never hear <laughs> because we messed up. Um, I messed up. I well, messed up. That's okay. <laughs> we mess, you, you messed up this one, but we deleted it. I messed up the last like three. We just kept them. So. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's fair. What did we do today? I'll try this again. <laughs> I like how that's like a total power play. I'm like, no. I know, yeah. You mess up, and we're going to keep going. <laughs> I mess up. And I'm like, let's restart again. Oh, man. That is, I like it. That's a good I power play. I didn't even play. thought about that. Man, Jill uh, recently joined the same team that I'm on here at Overdrive, and she's got some new swagger. I like it. I like it. <laughs> She came up, actually, I want to tell everyone this. This is really funny. I was working on a blog yesterday. And um, I don't know if you guys out there do any graphic design ever, but Jill and I do just enough where we're okay with it. And I do just enough where I can tell when something is not looking good. But I was having this moment yesterday where I was making a, a design and I knew it looked crappy, but I couldn't figure out why. So I slacked Jill. Slack is our inner office in the messenger. She comes over and I'm like, look at this. I know it's not good. What is wrong with it? And your response is like, oh, no. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> oh, so I was like, ooh, no. Yeah. This was what I was like, I know it's bad. Help me fix it. Which you did. So um, anyway, I very much enjoyed being on the same team. Okay. Now for real, what did we do today? We talked to Jane Yolen, mm-hmm. um, who has... Lots of books out. <laughs> yeah, that's a, a good that's way to describe it. Uh, Jane Yulon is a children's literary like institution. And yes. What that, we're, yeah. that work? Yeah. So work, what we're works. celebrating with this particular episode is her 365th book. That is bananas. Bananas. Uh, she, in fact, her, her publisher is doing this thing where they're literally doing a year of Jane Yulon, where... If you go to Jane Yolen's website, which I believe is janeyolen.com, she talks about it in the in the episode. They have an actual calendar of all of her books, and like it's basically here's a book every single day of hers you can read, and a lot of them are children's books, but many of them aren't as well. Um, but they do a really good job of being like, here's a particular holiday, and here's a book to read during it. So it's really cool. It's fun stuff. It's also great to like you and I discussed I think before we recorded like we read Jane Yolen books right. when we were younger. So it was, that was one of those fun moments. It's like, oh my God, if you would have told seven-year-old Adam, I know. he's going to interview Jane Yolen. Um, watch what I'm going to do right now. If you want to get a hold of us, they can find us on Twitter and Instagram at ProBookNerds, and they can email us at ProfessionalBookNerds at Overdrive.com. Good job, Adam. Thank you, Jill. <laughs> um, hey, what, have you, what are you reading lately? We haven't done that recently. 
Oh, I'm reading, um, I had talked about it on our March Books episode, but The Hunger oh, by right. Alma Katsu, which is the um, the Donner Party. Mm-hmm. It's really good. I've been in this sort of like reading slump where I had not, I think I read four books in February, which is to me low. Um, and I hadn't really read anything, and so I had a, a copy of it. Um, and so, yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. I The reason I asked is because yesterday on Twitter, uh, one of our listeners reached out after listening to that particular episode and was like, I feel like we need to check on Adam because he seems sad and it was so sweet of them. Because all the books I picked for March were yeah. pretty down. Um, because I have admittedly had a, a very stressful couple of months. But I want to point it out because I have, I'm reading a lot lately, but I have two fun books that are actually very happy. So if you need something to laugh at and smile at, two things, and I listen to the audiobooks of both. Um, one is Vacation Land by John Hodgman. Uh, John Hodgman hosts the very popular uh, Judge John Hodgman podcast, uh, and that's great. It's like stories of him in Maine and Massachusetts and growing up. It's good stuff. And then the other one is Zombie Spaceship Wasteland by Patton Oswalt. It's an older book of his. You could, The audiobook is like four hours. You can get okay. through it super does fast. Does he narrate it? He does. They both narrate their own books, which is why I listen to them. Um but that was that was for the listener who was like, "Is Adam okay?" So I'm also listening and reading happy books, just the ones I've been talking about are all the sad ones. I do think I may need to uh, re-listen to Ready Player One sometime soon because mm-hmm. we got the movie coming at the end of the month. Yeah. So I'm very excited about that. Did you see the posters? No. Okay, so there are posters. There, they made these Ready Player One posters, and what they did, it, the internet is not happy about it. I think they're cool. They took all of these old classic movies, and basically a lot of the movies that they reference in Ready Player One, they like inserted Ready Player One characters into the classic posters. And because the internet is what it is, people were very unhappy with it. You seem to not like this. Some of them I, I like. I am not a fan of these. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I like the idea of it. I like the idea of it. I think the execution yeah. is awkward. <laughs> There was one thing that I was offended by that I did not like, and it wasn't the posters, but if you've read or listened to Ready Player One, The Iron Giant is a very big part of it, and The Iron Giant was a classic movie, one of my favorite movies ever. Um, They released a Funko of The Iron Giant, which is incredible, but they marketed it as The Iron Giant from Ready Player One. I'm like, no, 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 it's The Iron Giant from The Iron Giant. So that, that was the one thing. Anyway... I would listen to Ready Player One. I don't one. even know they had... I didn't realize they had Funkos for Ready Player One. I didn't either. I just saw the, the one. Oh, so. yeah. Mm-hmm. Anywho. Yeah. We've gotten sidetracked. Um, as we want to do. Okay. Do you think there's anything else that people should know about before they hear this interview with Jane? No, I think we're good. Okay. Well, whether you read children's literature now or you did as a kid, and if you listen to this, I'm assuming you did, you will very much enjoy this conversation with Jane Yolen on the Professional Book Nerds Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is Adam and Joe, and today we're very excited to be joined by Jane Yolen, who is a writer of children's books, fantasy, and science fiction. She's been called the Hans Christian Andersen of America and the Aesop of the 20th century. On March 6th of this, on March 6th of this year, her latest children's book, A Bear Sat on My Porch Today, will be released as her 365th book. 
To celebrate this remarkable achievement, our friends at Chronicle Books are celebrating a year of Jane. You can follow along online using the hashtag Yolan365, and you can download uh, calendars at janeyolan.com to get suggested books of hers for each day of the year, all sorts of fun stuff. Jane, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And you know what's even more fun? On March 6th, I have two books coming out. One is a picture book and one is a young adult novel. And we don't know which is going to be the 356th or the (laughs) 365th or the 366th. So you can actually also read a book of mine a day for a year, even if it's a leap year. (laughs) Even a leap year. Look at that. That's amazing. Oh, that's amazing. Leap year's not until 2020, but never mind. (laughs) They can, they can start stocking up now, so then they'll be ready for leap year. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Um, so I'm actually going to, that's a question I actually I had was, because you write both children's and young adult books, and I know you wrote adult books uh, many years ago, what is your process like for the difference in writing for those different audiences? Uh, well, first of all, I still write adult books. Um, I have an adult book of poems coming out this year. Um, so, you know, that... They're still ongoing, but my process is actually the same for all of them, which is that I sit down, I write, um, and I don't think about audience. I think about the audience inside of me. That's who I'm talking to. And I know as a, a, a huge book reader myself that if I'm interested, if I stay interested, I will find the audience who will be interested in it um, if it gets published. So I'm not worried about that audience, but I am worried about all the things that, you know, writers think about, whether there's an arc to the book or the characters deeper, deep enough. Do the rhymes rhyme if I'm doing a rhyming book? Um, have I, have I um, let the characters float on the page? Um, and they're just talking, 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 but they don't seem to be to be anchored anywhere. Um, so all of those things are sort of in me. I'm not thinking about them in the forefront of my brain. In the forefront of my brain, I'm thinking story. But in the back of my brain, all of those things that I've learned over the years of writing are stored. And so they're just there. They know what to do. I don't have to worry about it until the revision and in the revision I start making notes to myself you know that rhyme doesn't work this uh, line is too long this uh, picture book has too many words in it you know that sort of thing but in that first white hot burst of energy and and inspiration I just write okay so after that after that's the hard work so I'm I'm curious for you because you actually led into another question we were we were uh, interested in for trying to create those stories again for in the reader within yourself as you mentioned first what is the bigger challenge for you is it creating those long-form novels with you know full story arcs and fully realized characters or is it trying to create those succinct and charming children's stories where obviously words are very much at a premium well you know it's interesting obviously novels are long they take time. But picture books take time, too. Al Moon took me 20 years to write um, because I couldn't find the way in. I kept trying it in different ways. Um, I've written novels in less time 
than it took me to write some of my picture books. So time is not is not not where I counted. Um, some novels are very difficult because the subject matter is difficult. I've written three Holocaust novels, and my third one is the one that's coming out on March 6th, along with uh, Bear Sat on the Porch today. Picture books, even if the subject is difficult, to me are refreshing. You can you can hold the whole the idea in your hand as you're working. When I go back to to um, revise it, I know it all almost by heart. Novels get away from me. <laughs> so, you know, little bits and pieces I don't remember. Huge parts I don't remember. Sometimes I don't remember the character, the, the, you know, the other, not the main characters, but I don't remember the characters' names of side characters. So, um, as far as, as what is hardest, it's the one that's not working is always hardest. The one that, that I had a great idea and it got away from me is hardest. Uh, the size of it doesn't matter. So, can you tell us a little bit about how children's books get made? I think you're the first like picture book author we've had, and so I think it would just be interesting, at least for my benefit and, and our listeners, to find out just the, how the whole process of it all works from concept idea to finished book. Well, first of all, you need to, you need to have read a lot of picture books if you're <laughs> going to write them. You need to understand form. Picture books are more like poems than they are like anything else. You know, there's a form and a format. But they also have to fit into normally 32 book pages. Normally. Sometimes they do 40 pages, but there's a specific number of pages. That's not manuscript pages, because you can have a picture book manuscript on one page. You can have a, a, a picture book done that has no words in it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's not that those pages we're worried about. It's the pages uh, of the book. The other thing that picture books need to have, they have to need to have some of the things novels have to have. They have an interesting character or an interesting idea. They have to have an arc where you go from one thing to a nice resolution. But they also, um, they also have to have every double page in it is going to be pictures. So if you're writing a picture book, you have to think in pictures, even if you're not an artist. And I am definitely not an artist. (laughs) I cannot draw at all. But I understand about each double page needing to have something there in it that will be of interest to an illustrator to make pictures. Mm -hmm. And picture books, also you need to have something that makes you want to turn the page. So we call that either motion or page turn, but you've got to get something that a child is going to want to turn to the next, next, next. It's always forward motion in a picture book. And then in relation to that, you mentioned that you don't have any skill whatsoever uh, as an artist from like a drawing standpoint, which I can appreciate because I struggle with even stick figures. but I, I'm exactly the same. <laughs> but do you have any influence over like what the illustrations are going to look like, or what is your relationship with uh, the people who are doing the illustrations? 
I will tell you, and it's the answer that everyone asks that question, it's the answer that they always gasp at. Mostly, authors have no influence at all, except for the story that we wrote. Because the illustrator doesn't get to talk to us, doesn't get to say, what were you thinking? Um, where do you think this is going? Um, can I make these bunnies instead of humans? Can I, can I make the dragons green instead of red? Your story has to tell them that. If you wanted to be a red dragon, you'd better say it's a red dragon. If you wanted to be a, a girl and not a boy, you should say it's a girl and not a boy. Or if you want that child to be non-gendered, then you leave it. You, you leave it. Um, uh, if you want that child to be red-headed, you need to say so uh, in the book, in the text. Um, now, I've been an editor. I was an editor at, uh, for four years, four and a half years at um, Knopf Children's Books. I w had my own imprint at Harcourt for nine years. Um, I worked uh, first at a book packager. So I know and I understand and I have done some minor art directing. And I, most of my, my um, children's book friends are, are illustrators. I have a pretty big knowledge of, of how books are put together. So I am in some ways more brought into the process than a lot of people are because editors can trust me that I'm not going to, one, get in the way of the artist, two, I am not going to um, be uh, pushy about my own ideas. Three, I know a lot of different kinds of artists and art, so I can talk to them like that, um, you know, like an art director might. Um, but I'm very careful and very cautious about inserting myself into the, you know, the picture book production. The interesting thing is I've done six um, uh, graphic novels. And in graphic novels, the writer is supposed to give the kind of directions that a movie director would give. Um, they, so they would say, page one, five panels, panel one, girl sitting on her bed with a t-shirt that reads resist um, staring and glaring at the out at the the reader she has short hair with a, a fringe of bangs um, and a mole on her left cheek that's that's what you would do if you were doing a, a graphic novel completely different from what you would do in a picture book where it's hands off uh, so with the, first off, that's I did not know that. Yeah, about, me either. That's about graphic novels. But with all that in mind, I'm curious, and you don't have to name names. We don't want to throw anyone under the <laughs> bus. But have there ever been times when you've gotten illustrations back from your work, and you just thought like, oh, well, that kind of missed the mark there. Like if you were a little bit. You know what? I could probably name on the fingers of one hand, maybe five fingers, mm -hmm. picture books I was disappointed with, and for very different reasons. One was that it's, it was set in the wrong place, even though it was very clear in the text where it was. Uh, one was because I had sent one of my, I never did it again, a little book dummy of my drawings because it was, a, it was a, a, um, a concept book. And I felt that if, if they didn't see at least something from it, they wouldn't get the concept. And the artist 
used my awful drawing out of hers. One, because it was the second time the book had been published, and I didn't like the second illustrations as much as I liked the first. This happened actually, yeah, once. Once. The second time it happened, I loved both illustrations. Um, but, so that's four. That's four times I've been really disappointed. Um, that's not bad, since I have almost 200 picture books. Yeah, that's not bad yeah, at all. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Um, going back to what you said about needing to read a lot of picture books if you want to write picture books, do you have any sort of all-time favorite picture books that were not written by you, but that you read as part of your process? Uh, lots and lots and lots. Um, obviously, uh, Where the Wild Things Are. Um, a book by Barbara Berger um, called um, Grandma... Uh, I'm going to forget the name now. Um, I know, I put you uh, on the spot there. I'm at that stage <laughs> in my life where I'll probably, halfway through this interview, I will remember. That's <laughs> okay. Uh, it, Grandpa is in the, or Grandfather, Grandfather Twilight, that's what it's called, Grandfather Twilight. And the reason is she was a student of mine, um, and she showed me, brilliant painter, um, she showed me some of her stuff, and one was a picture of an old, old man holding a large, enormous pearl in his hand that looks like the moon. And I said, there's a picture book there. So she went back and she wrote it. And, and it ended up being something like, I don't know, 2,000 words. And by the time she sold it on the pictures alone to um, a wonderful editor named Anne Benedus, the book had maybe, maybe 40 words in it. Oh, my gosh. So for me, for me, that because the pictures told the whole story. Mm-hmm. So for me, that was a reminder um, about how you can pare back and pare back and pare back a wordy picture book to its essence and still have a brilliant book. Um, uh, there's a book from long ago called Father Fox's Penny Rhymes uh, by um, Wendy Watson and, and uh, Clyde Watson, her sister. Um, and um, it is so... I call it the user-friendly book um, because it is so childlike. And so, so that reminds me to remember that the child is, has, we know the child is going to be reading the book or going to be read to. Think of the child every once in a while that you were. Remember the child, you, what kind of book as a child you wanted to be. And that actually, that, I, that, that makes me want to ask, for you when you're, when you're writing a children's book, what is the, the kind of the most important aspect for you? Is it the entertainment value of the story itself? Is it, you know, like the re-readability, knowing that parents are going to absolutely be reading it more than once? Is it the kind of overarching message for the children? Or is it something else entirely, I guess? just Never, w- n- never a message. But, but it's story, story, story. Um, I'm a poet, so most of my books tend to be very lyrical. Um, but lyricism, compression, um, and, and, um, story, those would be my three top, um, wants in a book. It should be lyrical, even if it's not a poem, it should be compressed, 
because we're not talking about a lot of words here. You've got to get a lot of bang for your buck out of every single word that's in it. Every word in a picture book is important. In a novel, you can have whole paragraphs that are practically throwaways, right? <laughs> but in a picture book, every word has to do not only its own duty, but, you know, more than its own duty. Um, but, the, but the lyricism... Um, to me, and the compression are really what poets bring so specially to to picture books. And then in the end, it's all about story. Because if you don't have something that the child is attached to, to listen to over and over again, you know, how many times have you reread a novel? That's a really not good question. Often, mm-hmm. Not often, not often, because there's so many novels out there we're trying to keep up, right? Um yeah, a, a favorite I might once every 10 years mm-hmm. reread, if I have time. But picture books, even as an adult, I read over and over and over again. Not only to children, but now that I, my grandchildren are all grown up, I still will go and, and because you can read it so quickly. You know, your time investment in a novel, if you're rereading it, is enormous. Your time investment when you're rereading a picture book, it's maybe 10 minutes. That's a really so good point. It's a huge difference. I also can't get out of my mind the whole throwaway paragraphs. I feel like half the <laughs> paragraphs I write are throwaway paragraphs, so I definitely know what you mean. Yeah, well, because if I'm writing a novel and I want to describe the landscape, and I'm a, I'm a great believer in landscape, even though... These days, people don't want to write landscape at all. I think it anchors a book. Um, but the problem with landscape is very few people walk outside. <laughs> um, my family's a family of bird watchers. We're outside all the time. I walk one to four miles a day. Well, not in the ice. Yeah. Um, I'm that, that age that if I take a fall, I'm not getting up. <laughs> um It'll probably take a Derek and six handsome young men to get me to my feet. <laughs> that's, the, that's the plus. Uh, but um, we're out there all the time. Or if we're in the car, we have our, our um, field glasses with us and we're looking at stuff. If you don't know how to look, how can you get it down on the page? I like that a lot. I do too. Yeah. Uh, so speaking of... But, 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 but let me get back to that throwaway thing. Sure. It, 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 I say it's throwaway because a lot of people skim that when they're reading. Mm-hmm. Not the real, real deep readers, but a lot of people. And a lot of book editors, especially for young adult books, want you to get rid of those paragraphs because they're slowing the story down. Kids, they say, don't sit for that anymore. Which I think is, I think it's terrible if true, and terrible if not true, and that's 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 a line that's being promoted. So speaking of your family, uh, both of your parents were writers, so we're kind of picturing that you grew up in a household full of books, <laughs> and we're curious if your childhood was as surrounded by reading as your adult life has been. It was, and my parents never put any book off limits to me. So at six or seven, I was reading Joseph Mann, not understanding it, you understand, <laughs> but loving it because of the munchy language. Um, I had my first um, 
copies of the two Alice in Wonderland books in a beautiful edition with the Tineo illustrations. Um, and and they were in a boxed edition. When I was four, I think, um, I was reading by the time I was four. I was probably reading by the time I was three. My children, uh, my daughter, who was the oldest, was reading when she was four. My middle child was reading when he was two and a half. In nursery school, the teacher used to say, when you're finished with your, with your work, go into the corner and Adam will read you a story. <laughs> Um, and but the youngest was so used to having other people read to him, resisted reading for himself because when he read to himself, it was herky jerky and it was not smooth. So we thought he couldn't read till he was seven. But I went in one day and I realized he was reading what he was reading, and to this day, what he reads is nonfiction. He had Peterson's Bird Guide. On it, you know, on his pillow with him, yeah. and he was reading it, including the Latin. Oh my gosh! So you know, I'm not sure he knew what the Latin was, but he was sounding <laughs> it out. So he had been reading, but not stories, because stories were what something mommy or daddy or his older brother and sister would read to him, and he liked the way it sounded then. He didn't like the way it sounded when when um, he was trying to sound out the words himself. I have to tell you, as a lifetime lover of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, I actually had a Wonderland wedding, so you're speaking directly to my heart about having your... Oh, my goodness. Yes. I, I, I will openly admit I have book quotes from Alice's Adventures and Through the Looking Glass tattooed onto my body, so I very, very much appreciate having I those special I will not editions. ask you where. <laughs> <laughs> they're all, they're all PC, I promise, but... <laughs> yes, was Relic in the flyzy toves, the gyre and gimbal in the wave, all mimsy where the bora grows, and the momrass. You, you just, yeah, I know the whole thing. You just wow. made my day. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Um, did you know growing up that you always wanted to be a writer for, uh, for your living? No, no. I thought that all grown-ups were writers <laughs> after their, their day jobs. My parents' friends were all, all writers. Um, and I thought that every teacher, every librarian, every cop on the block, every news dealer, every bus driver went home at night and wrote because all of my parents, good friends who came over and brought their new books and autographed them for my parents, you know, they all wrote. So clearly that's what grown-ups did. But I also wanted to be a ballet dancer. I was going to, I, I spent much of my after-school time uh, taking ballet at Balanchine's School of American Ballet um, when I was young, but it was clear that I was never going to be a ballerina. I was a good dancer, but I was five foot three and chunky, and nothing was going to change that. <laughs> then I wanted to own a horse ranch, because I was learning when we moved to the country. We were first in, I grew up in New York City, but when when. I was 14 and my brother was nine, uh, our parents moved us to um, Connecticut. And there I started to ride um, uh, Lipizzana horses. So I wanted to own a horse farm. I spent one summer in summer camp um, uh, cleaning out stalls 
for the whole summer. That decided me never to own a horse farm. <laughs> and then I wanted to become a lawyer. Uh, and in high school, I was on the debate team. And, and uh, every time uh, our side would lose or I would lose, uh, I would cry. It was clear that I was not made to be a, a lawyer. So what happened? I fell back on what I already knew. I was already writing, um, getting published in the school newspaper, in the school literary journal. All right, somehow I was going to become a writer. And my father reminded me that he had been a journalist when he was young. Um, so that's what I was going to be. I was going to be a journalist. Turned out I was lousy at being a journalist. Um, I was good at researching, but interviewing people was terrible, especially if you know their son had just died or they, they had been, just been robbed. I'm, I, 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 I just wanted to put my arms around them. I didn't want to interview them. Um, so I would go back to, I, I spent a summer as a cub reporter for the Bridgeport Sunday Herald. And after any time I tried to interview someone, I would come back and put my head down on the desk and cry. And it was painful. It was really painful. Um, I loved the writing part. I just couldn't do the interviewing. Yeah, we that's see we prefer these types of interviews where we get to laugh we, we get to laugh with the people that we're interviewing we don't have to ask them about yeah yeah exactly so uh as we mentioned earlier in the episode you have multiple books coming out this year so do you always have multiple projects going on at the same time are you working on like how do you balance all of that well i do have multiple projects all the time that i'm working on I, this is a banner year. I have 11 books coming out. Uh, just don't ask me how it happened. <laughs> uh, but not none of them was written last year. Hmm. It takes a long time for some books to come out. Um, a Bear Sat on My Porch Today took something like 11 years from start to finish. Um, the writing part maybe took half a year. Um, and then a rewriting a number of times with the editor, uh, and then it took him forever to find the person that he wanted to do the illustrations. She took forever to do the illustrations. The publisher took forever to bring out the book. So, um, and, and, and the novel, Mapping the Bones, the Holocaust novel, took four and a half years to write, and then another two years to come out. So, so these things take time. And... If you don't have the patience of stones, you, you're not going to work well in the in the in the book business. Because stuff doesn't come out the minute you you've written it. If you want to do that, you have to put it online. So no, I don't know how to make money doing. It. <laughs> so how do you compartmentalize like when you're working on multiple projects? Just from like the the craft standpoint. Do you just come to an understanding like, okay, today I'm going to work on story X and, you know, maybe tomorrow afternoon I'll do story Y. But like, to me, I feel like when I'm writing, I have to have some idea of what I'm trying to accomplish for that session or else my brain will just go all over the place. And that's writing one story. So you have multiple. So how do you compartmentalize it? Well, what I do is a simple trick. Um, I, I, I um, Really, I trick myself. I read the thing out loud that I've decided to work on, or it's decided needed me to work on it. Um, and once I've read it aloud, I'm in that voice. The 
the voice to me that you have to get. And once I, I've read it out loud, and, and you know, it's easy to read a picture book out loud or where you've started, even if you haven't finished it yet. Um, I was working on a picture book this morning um, that I'd had about half of it done, and I found out that it was too long. It was more than the 32 pages. Uh, so I went back and I started cutting, but first I read it all out loud, and then I cut some of it, and then I read it out loud again, and then I cut a little more, and then I read it out again, and I added a couple of, of, of sections to it and read that out loud. When I'm doing a novel, I go back and read the chapter before out loud so I can get into the voice, um, and also so I can remind me who the characters are and um, <laughs> you know what are their visual tics and and where are they situated, not only physically, but emotionally. I need to, sometimes I have to go back two chapters to, to, to really get a run at it. So it's like I'm taking, um, I'm, I'm going, I'm not from a standing start, I'm going from a running start. Does that make sense? Yeah. It does, yeah. So we have to ask and talk about the incredible milestone, uh, Yolan 365 celebration. What all do you and your publishers have going on to celebrate this? Well, the first thing is that we're going to have a two-day party at the Eric Carle Museum um, in Amherst, Massachusetts, because it's only 20 minutes away. <laughs> we've, been, we've been doing lots of stuff since, since before the Carle Museum started, because Eric Carle uh, is a good friend of mine. And, um, so we've all been there um, at, at, at various milestones. And when they heard about this milestone, they said, do it here. <laughs> so first, we're going to have um, um, a party uh, of, um, you know, my 300 closest friends. Uh, <laughs> we're, we're hoping, <laughs> since we're sending out more than that in invitations, that some of them stay home. Because <laughs> I'm not sure that the Carl can, can have that many people. Um, it's going to be a wine and cheese and soda party. Um, and then um, the next day is going to be a, t uh, a day for kids. I'm going to read uh, Bear Sat on My Porch today, and, and uh, they're going to, the Carl is going to have a porch set up um, that they've created so the children then can, can make pictures or sculptures of, and I will read the book to them, of the various animals that are in the um, in the book, um, and then they'll all go on that porch, and then in the afternoon there's going to be a, a, an educator's day, um, and we may do, if there are enough people for two sessions, I'll do it twice, um, Heidi is going to, my daughter is going to be um, asking me questions, she knows everything about me, so she can perform <laughs> good questions, um, and um, then there'll be Q&A with the audience, and then there'll be um, a... Um, Everybody will have a bag of swag, uh, posters and buttons and and a little booklet of things that I've written about um, why I write and how I write um, that they can use in the classroom. Um, uh, finely printed um, uh, poems um, that that about writing that they can you know put up in the classroom where they can get framed if they want, because it'll be on uh, good paper. So uh, there's a lot for them, and 
and then, uh, you know, just walking around talking to people, too. But these will all be <coughs> mostly educators who are within probably a couple of hours mm-hmm. of Massachusetts um, uh, and, our, and, and uh, the Art Carl Museum, because I don't think anybody's going to fly in, <laughs> but, but um, maybe some will. Uh, but the party the night before will be for um, friends, family, and industry uh, um, uh, people that I've worked with. Uh, so it, that's the first thing that's going to happen. But a lot of these kinds of interviews, both on Skype and, and, and by phone, have been, have been coming in, um, uh, being interviewed by uh, Publishers Weekly, uh, you know, that sort of thing. And then... I, Heidi and I will be at it's either five or six um, book festivals over the next year, um, which are the normal ones we go to, um, Rochester, Princeton, um, uh, Chappaqua, other books, book festivals in, in both in uh, Massachusetts, New York State, New Jersey. Um, we'll be doing a lot of bookstores uh, events, um, so it, that sort of thing. I don't do school visits anymore because at 70, I'm going to be 79 next month and they are exhausting. <laughs> That's understandable. I, I used to do them all the time, but I, I haven't for a while. Yeah. And um, I did mention in the, the intro, but just to remind everyone, if they go to your, your website, com, they can get these really wonderful calendars that are broken up by month, and they have one of your books for every single day of the year and, and a literary holiday to align with them, and they are, they're wonderful. So I hope everyone, if they can't make it to your area, they'll, they'll download those for sure. They're, Thank you. They're a blast. Thank you. Yep. They're all, they're all downloadable. Yeah. Um, so our last kind of question for you, and this is going to be tough because you have so many different books, but we always like ending on, on asking this question. What do you hope readers, both young, old, and everyone in between, take away from reading your books? Uh, first of all, I want to love them to love the story. Um, I want them to feel either elated or comforted or... Um, feel they've learned something new that they hadn't known before because very often these are books that I've written because I've learned something new and want to share that, that something new. Um, I, I, I want some of them to be like little earwigs to get into your ears and not, <laughs> not, to, not to leave you. Um, certainly a bear sat on, a, on the porch today, which actually happened. <laughs> not quite as not quite as I wrote it, but it actually <laughs> happened. Um, my one of my granddaughters, who was taking care of the house while I was away, <clears throat> sent me a note and said, "Nana, I didn't see it, but the neighbor said a porch was sleep uh, a bear was sleeping on your porch today." And I went, <laughs> "Thank you, you've given me the start to a picture book." <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a real earwig kind of book. Because it's bouncy and it's full of rhymes and it's mm-hmm. and it's um, you know that kind of look. Um, but I also I love the fact that when I get letters about the dinosaur books, very often they're from people who who have children who are either autistic or on the Asperger's uh, spectrum who say this is the only book that's ever gotten through to my child who wouldn't eat 
uh, we had to force, you know, force feed him every day. It was like a, a battle. Or wouldn't go to bed or, or wouldn't take his meds. Um, and now they say, each child is saying, I'm a good dinosaur. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to eat. I'm going to try a new food. And so it's, it's interesting to me. I didn't write those books for those particular kids. I just wrote the books and they found them. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I'm a I'm a great believer in in finding the book you need at the right time. That's whether it's whether it's it's been a bad day and you need something that tells you that that life's not like that, or a poem that lifts you, that fills you, um, or a story, or a graphic novel, or a novel that you find it when you need it, because sometimes I wrote it because I needed it. That's perfect. That's a great place to end. And thank you so much for joining us today. This was a blast. My pleasure. My pleasure. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can add these titles to their collections and marketplace. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.